And we're recording. Welcome to Coffee, Eggs and Inspiration. It's a weekly show that goes out over YouTube and is a podcast over all of the major channels. And each week I get to sit and in COVID times virtually sit uh, with somebody inspiring and interesting and listen to them tell their story and share it with all of you. This week is no different. I'm joined by Dr. Michelle Tempest. Welcome, Michelle. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for joining us. I'm super excited. I, I can't wait to get into this conversation. Um, Michelle's got an awesome uh, history here and, uh, and indeed present. Um, she's a partner with Candesic, uh, which is a, actually a strategy uh, consulting company, uh, but by background, a medical doctor, a, psycho a psychiatrist, in fact, uh, so medically trained and has been uh, recently on, back on the front lines uh, as part of our uh, battle against COVID. Uh, and um, an author of a book called Big Brain Revolution, Artificial Intelligence, Spy or Saviour, uh, a really interesting um, take on the combination of technology and uh, how it's affecting our psychology as individuals. Uh, uh, so can't wait to talk about that. Uh, a lecturer in medical ethics and uh, at uh, Cambridge University, and also an investor, and, and I guess for that reason an entrepreneur, in medical care and life sciences. So not only talks the talk, but walks the talk as well. Um, what an amazing uh, combination, Michelle, uh, of, of skills and uh, things that you've brought together. Let's start uh, by talking about you and how is it that you train to be a doctor and then cross that divide uh, and, and you're a business person now, you're in strategy consulting, uh, you've got some investments, why, why that mix? Well, look, pleasure to be here. Why that makes great question. So in terms of healthcare, look, I, I, I loved being a doctor. I absolutely loved being a doctor. And it's a huge honor uh, to not only train as a doctor, but then I spent 14 years of my life uh, in the National Health Service on the front line, seeing, uh, seeing patients every day and actually realizing through that journey uh, that life and careers are a long time <laughs> so when you're on that journey what you realize is that you are sort of giving your all every single day uh to an individual person uh and actually trying to help them to help themselves because uh, that's one of the ideas of, of mental health really is that you are uh, is, is, is not about you it's about how you can help somebody else uh sort of manage uh their journey uh throughout life um, and I guess that when you realize and when you're in that situation uh, one of the exciting things is the fact of you can also think about it at quite a structural level and I think there are lots of clinicians out there who uh, will in the future actually do probably do things quite similar to the way that I've done things because historically it was actually very difficult to, to move between frontline healthcare and then actually taking uh, a bigger picture view and actually sort of saying, well, how does this work and interact in, in the bigger scheme of things? And to bring it, I suppose, really to, to frontline and modern day thinking, part of that transition would be, imagine when you're a frontline doctor in COVID-19 times, and you are dealt, you're, you're there with sort of an 80-year-old uh, patient who's lying in hospital, and you, you know that you had to move them out of the hospital. So, of course, what's happened is that some of those actually were, were transferred in, into care homes. Uh, and then, of course, we're looking at the sort of the ramifications of that. 
And that's a very structural thing because you're always left as a hospital doctor, which is where I sat, is kind of realizing that actually you're only seeing a very small bit of that person's journey. And actually, you actually want to ensure that actually when you when you discharge them out of hospital, you're discharging them into something safe uh, and, to, and for looking at that more longer term care. So that's, I suppose, in some ways, I did an extremely slow transition into thinking, okay, this is what happens on the front line, and then bringing that knowledge to bear into thinking, well, how does that relate into sort of managerial function and business function, and then taking that as a global view, uh, which is why I work at Candesic, to, to think about, well, what do you... Um, strategically how do you join up all these different how do you join the dots how do you join the pieces together to think about whole pathway of care social care brings in education so it creates a much uh, broader vision but you're right I don't think that you should it's not just about the theory it's always it's also about making sure that you link it up and I think that uh, one of the positive things which I hope I bring to the picture uh, is is to be able to and I think you do that as well which is about not just uh, sort of talking the talk and just thinking about it, but really rolling your sleeves up, getting involved and ensuring that actually what you the sort of the strategy also gets operationalized. Uh, and from that, uh, you know, in, in modern day times, we're also looking at how do you make things more digital? How do you bring in technology? And that can link many things up, which is the reason that then I got, um, you know, I got super fascinated around the whole thing around artificial intelligence and hence uh, the book, which is uh, Big Brain Revolution. Uh, and uh, that's that's what brings me here. Fantastic. We are going to come back to the book and I'm glad you've got it with you. I will link it below uh, as well. Uh, for those people who are listening on a podcast, I'm pointing down. But you can also see that uh, at below LinkedIn and Spotify or whatever platform you're on as well. Um, so how did you make the transition, though? I mean, a, a psychologist to a psychiatrist, I'm sorry, to a, a business person. Uh, did you retrain or did you just sort of walk out one day and say, hey, here I am, this is what I'm doing now? No, so I'm actually a, a psych. So I, I was a psychiatrist, and I also trained as a psychologist. Uh, so I was I did cognitive analytical therapy on my on my journey, uh, and very much was involved in trying to treat people with medically unexplained symptoms. And I think that if there's any psychologist or or healthcare professional listening, uh, we'll probably all be very familiar with the fact that we are we're not just kind of like do one thing one day, off to do something else another day. So that that's uh, I did perhaps one of the slowest ever cross tapers of careers known to man. So it was a, a 10 year journey uh, whilst I was doing, I originally started actually in my annual leave as a hospital doctor, uh, working on projects for, for Candesic, which is where I, which is where I transitioned into, but you very much have to, um, yeah, you can't just, I think, swap from one thing to another. You have to kind of go through, it's a journey and it's a, it's a learning journey. So, uh, so yeah, it took me around 10 years to, to make that transition. That's a, that's a long apprenticeship program now that you embarked on, but sounds uh, see things I recognise in your story. I'm a recovering lawyer. Uh, that was my first career. Um, my retraining, I, I did an MBA, so I sort of that was my transition. Um, probably a little bit more abrupt and less elegant than yours. <laughs> anyway, what um, what parallels? Just more expensive, I would say. If it's <laughs> um, I've only just started stopped paying it off. Uh, very expensive sabbatical that one. Um, what, what are the parallels that you see between uh, what you learned in medicine and how you're now applying that to business? 
So I, I still very much do healthcare business. So I've never lost my love uh, for the health, the, the care sector. So uh, I think that one of the things which which we do is we uh, bring together sort of a multidisciplinary approach. And I guess that's a, um, a very healthcare uh, sort of way of looking at life is the fact that you realize that, you know, uh, you only know what you know and you don't know what you don't know. So really we all need, we all need friends, right? We all, we all need help from others. And so also what we do in business is we bring kind of healthcare experts, academics, and the sort of the MBA business experts. And we join those things together to try and piece together the puzzle. So, uh, you know, I, I guess I come from the much more kind of, uh, I call it kind of my feet are on the ground of really thinking through, okay, this might, uh, you know, how does this practically going to work and how is it practically going to change? And in a similar Way, I suppose that then that brings you into technology uh, and the digital side because uh, you often what will often happen in, in terms of particularly something like healthcare actually is that you get digital solutions which come into healthcare but that um, are not always asking the right the right question because um, you know people just have never seen what a patient journey is like or indeed um, you know have never practically and who would right who would know what a hospital is like three three a.m. in the morning <laughs> unless you've walked the walk there many times so it's a very different place at three a.m. to three p.m. <laughs> Yeah, no doubt, no doubt it is. Uh, so let's, I can't wait to start talking about the, the book um, and more importantly, the thesis within your book. We've got a, um, a, a high-flying medical executive and a technology executive here on the, on the phone together. Uh, so all the uh, Google Meets, <laughs> the video together. So really uh, interested. Hold your book up again, by the way. Where's that prop? There it is. Yeah. If you're watching on YouTube, now's the time to take a, take a screenshot you're listening, just go down below. There's a link there. It's much easier anyway. Um, what a wonderful piece of uh, uh, art, by the way, on the front. Um, very interesting diagram of the brain, uh, sort of radiating pieces around it. Um, I always think, yeah, the, the cover has to be pretty, right? It's a pretty cover. <laughs> I, see, I see the play. Just hold it up again. It says Big Brain Evolution and just in red, AI Evolution. Interesting. Okay, so what a great intro. Uh, a few clues there on what's inside. Tell me your thesis. Well, the thesis actually is is to encourage people to think about those two things, uh, putting those two things together. So I guess in terms of um, artificial intelligence and in terms of technology and in terms of coding and in terms of all these very geeky things, which I'm sure you know all about, um, I guess I wanted to write something to kind of say that actually we shouldn't be scared or indeed you know, we, we shouldn't hold back on being inquisitive about digital technology just because a lot of people kind of put their hands up and just sort of say, oh, that's it's not something I understand. Um, so the book actually is all around the fact that there is nothing more complicated, nor as beautiful, I would argue, but nothing more complicated in life than our own human brain. I mean, there is so much going on in there and so many things that we don't understand and so many connections. And in fact, there are more connections in the human brain than there are stars in the sky. Uh -huh. And if you tried to map your, um, ever, if you ever tried to map all your sort of thousands of Facebook friends, uh, that diagram would look like, you know, would look so minuscule in terms of uh, what the, the mapping that's and the connections that's happening in your own brain. So when you start realizing that actually technologically or indeed kind of where we are digitally, our own human mind is 
probably, you know, uh, something which we should all be in awe of because uh, currently things like artificial intelligence or, you know, all of these kind of quantum computing and, and uh, well, the words can go on, right? It's very, very difficult to come up with something as, as, as amazing as the human mind. Now, of course, um, you know, <laughs> It's better. There are certain things. So, in single domains, when you ask a computer, for instance, to, uh, I don't know, it can translate these days into other languages, right? I mean, it's incredible. So, in that single domain, it can far out achieve, achieve or out achieve, well, whichever the word is, but you know what I mean. It can far out compete what the human can do. But when you put everything together, we're perhaps not there yet in terms of, uh, you know, because that would almost be super intelligence, right? So you, we would create when we're sort of putting all of these different domains together. And so my thesis for the book is basically to encourage everyone, not just sort of technology geeks and not just psychology geeks, but to encourage absolutely everyone to, uh, to have a think about it, to read about it. So not in a complicated way, but I try to strip it back to its naked form. So I talk about the human brain and try and explain kind of uh, all the different parts of the human brain, such as how do we remember things? Uh, how do we fall in love? What are emotions? Uh, I then talk about technology and how technology has advanced. Uh, and I do talk about uh, things like deep minds and how it's very really helpful for um, in healthcare and all these different sectors. And then at the end, I bring it all together with sort of highlighting how we use it in all domains of life, which could be anything from advertising to um, to the fact that, uh, you know, we're, we're using it and, and increasingly so in COVID times, you know, we're using it even for education. We're using it. It's it's sort of permeating everything that we do. And so the, the existential question for, that I sort of pose in the book and try to give my thoughts on it is, well, how is that impacting our own human brain? So all of that feedback that comes back into the <laughs> ourselves, uh, that's kind of the question for everyone. And I don't think it should be answered by, uh, you know, sort of technology companies. I don't think it can be answered by anybody at the moment, but it's something where we should think about what is the, how does that impact us? How is it evolving us? How it is changing our personality? Um, and, and is that for good or actually can people use it for, for sort of for less good purposes? And what's your what's your hypothesis? What, what's your point? Do you have a point of view on on the question, the, the, your your rhetorical question? So I think I encourage everyone to think about it themselves, and people might will come to their own conclusion. And at the moment, there's no right or wrong. One of the things which um, I think that I I sort of have a, a one of the things which I explain in the final chapter would be. There are two, you know, if you take things through to the as a conclusion, there are there are two ways of which it could go. Firstly, is that we could um, almost take, we could make everything go a bit like Costa Coffee, if I'm allowed to say Costa Coffee on here. So in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of sort of uh, the way that unique coffee shops kind of pop up all around the world, and then all of a sudden we try and unify everything. So you could almost make that analogy with how we're trying to unify the way that the human brain kind of interacts. Uh, so the way that we even teach, the way that we, the way that we um, encourage our neural networks to, um, to, to combine might actually just become very same-ish. 
So there is one school of thought that would sort of say, well, we're all going to actually, we're all traveling along a world where, um, although we talk about diversity in modern day time, maybe actually we're becoming less diverse than we were, i.e. technology is actually moving us to be uh, more similar than more diverse. And yet that was, so that would kind of be, whereas, you know, Darwinian evolution would spring off all sorts of curiosities. So that might be one way. Or the other way would be that um, if we outsource uh, quite complicated things uh, to computers. So for instance, something which I do on a, on a daily basis, or almost a daily basis, or at least a daily basis when we were allowed out, <laughs> would be uh, to uh, outsource uh, to my mobile phone to kind of sort of to geolocate myself and to sort of map where I go, walk from one place to another. So effectively, you know, that's my brain no longer has to think about it. So I'm outsourcing a task to something else. And just like a muscle, if you stop using that muscle, it can start withering away. And so then the question comes, well, that's super useful, right? I would probably get lost if I, well, I do get lost without, <laughs> without using uh, sort of Google uh, locations and, and GPS. But the question becomes is once you do that, or once you're encouraged to do that, and once uh, technology evolves to allow you to do that more and more and more, where do you stop? So, for instance, you know, if you take that down a channel to uh, to the future, because we're not there yet, but you could think about the future, is that the more and more and more and more we outsource, particularly on our own life decisions, uh, then do you prevent your kind of your the executive functioning part of the human brain, which is where uh, all of you know all of your kind of life memories. Uh, can all interact, you know, they all sort of form a foundation to the way we make decisions. So there might be in the future, uh, we humans might actually get less good at something called executive function or decision making, or how do we kind of, how do we put um, complex situations together and unpick them and problem solve. And that in itself is such an amazing quality that the human mind has that probably we don't really appreciate in our everyday lives. So my thesis is to say, appreciate what you have because your own brain is actually doing a lot of hard work in there whilst you don't even realize. Uh, and then think, well, how could it be impacted uh, by technology? Because of course, there's a, there's a great thing that you can uh, go from point A to point B um, but there's a famous story, actually, that I will, I will add in here to give an example. So, for instance, if you trust technology to the extent that you are stopping thinking, uh, there was, a, there was a, a male driver that was following uh, the GPS uh, and he, he was trying to find a petrol station, but the GPS was basically taking him to the wrong place. And he basically drove over a field, drove through a fence, and then actually only like it was actually went to tipping the car over a cliff prior to stopping and realizing that actually that, that actually probably he shouldn't trust the GPS because you just put blind faith in it. And so he hadn't actually been um, my, you know, you, you just, so you, you have to, I suppose my summary would be, you have to stop and think and be mindful to ensure that, uh, you know, that the technology is, going in the direction that, that you wish to travel in and the humanity wishes to travel in. So mindful, mindful use of technology. I think that's a really good way of describing it. And I, I do agree. You know, I, I, I see this uh, in, in myself. I see it in my, my teenage boys as, as well. Uh, 
you know, it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit like diet, right? You can snack on junk food uh, a lot, but you can also eat really nutritionally. Uh, and likewise, I suppose the mind in some ways is a bit uh, like the body. It's easier not to exercise, but it's quite good to exercise as well because that keeps you fit. And I suppose your thesis is, uh, is advising us to do the same thing, but, uh, but for, the, for the brain, uh, right, and, and respect and use that executive function that we've got. I'm personally very grateful, by the way, for the invention of uh, GPS-based uh, navigation. Um, I think it's got a lot to do with the marital harmony that I experience in, in my marriage. Uh, I'm very grateful for that technology, but definitely you should stop short of the cliff. Uh, we had an experience once in, in Iceland that was a bit like that. We were sort of following it through a back road and the snow was getting deeper and deeper and we ended up stranding the car. So I do... I do recognize it. So what are the tips that you would have, you know, coming as a medical professional, uh, a psychiatrist and psychologist, um, what advice would you have for people in uh, exercising this skill of mindful use of technology that you talk about? So I think that number one would be don't be scared of, of questioning it. So that would be my number one tip is that being insightful is probably the most protective thing of all to the, to the human mind. So another beautiful thing about the human mind, uh, and I do actually talk about junk food. Uh, so uh, in the book, actually, and, and use that exact analogy, because in life, that's exactly the, the same thing. If you just eat junk food all the time and there's no variation in your diet, then you're right, it has impacts. And it's exactly the same with the human mind. So the beauty of the human brain is the fact that um, it's the one organ in the body, really, that's always updating. So even through having this interaction and this talk, and even through listening to it or watching it, it has actually impacted the uh, and activated and potentially even made connections in the mind. So everything that we do, even as we as we grow and get older, and that's why in, in theory you get wiser and older, although <laughs> not all of us, uh, means that we're evolving it. Uh, and in fact, in some ways, you're uh, throughout life, you 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 should you think about your your brain as as a, as a sculpture. And in fact, effectively, you can sort of chip away at it, sculpting it to be more and more uh, beautiful. Uh, so in the way that Leonardo, you know, there are some sort of Einstein's brain, in fact, uh, it's not about the size of the brain, but around the fact of um, how quickly you can make connections. And so that's one of the key things is the fact if, if we can um, wire the brain together in a way where you are connecting it in a healthy way, that will help in, in, the, in the longer term. Whereas if you're always encouraging it to be connected in an unhealthy way, then that becomes a connection that in other circumstances may not be so good. So in terms like, you know, GPS and, you know, marital harmony, all those things are amazing, right? We all use it already. But I guess I'm thinking about, well, what happens next? So, for instance, there is a school of thought that, um, that in terms of education, then what happens if that's fully taken over by technology? And I, I bring that up because at the moment during homeschooling time, uh, the world has had a little taster of what it's like to have to uh, teach kids at, at home and, and how many parents have, have really struggled to do that because it's really difficult. Uh, you know, we've all, all we've all realised the value of, of teachers, uh, but it's also it's also been uh, quite an interesting experiment for a lot of technology companies that are actually in the education sector. 
Uh, and some of those have actually picked up this huge amount of data um, around people and how long, uh, how long sort of different people in different geographies all around the world are, are actually educating their children online and what they're learning. And of course, there are certain education platforms which can uh, be extremely helpful in the way that they can educate children because they, they can pick up uh, things which um, that perhaps the teacher wouldn't, probably a parent may not. Uh, they're picking up actually what the child is struggling with and then they are refocusing on that. So it, it's through basically, you know, I mean, for, for you, that would be uh, an obvious kind of technological solution. But it's actually quite clever, right, that actually it can personalize the teaching and the training to the individual child. But of course, the issue when becomes with that is that uh, once you take that to, to an extreme, um, or if we decide to take it to an extreme, you know, how much do we decide to outsource? Because we could start pretty much, we're almost at a point now where we could outsource a huge amount of our daily things, of our daily living activities, everything from teaching and, and many things in healthcare. Um, so the question becomes, once you outsource so much, what are you, what are you left with? Yeah, yeah. So it's a great question. You've hit a hot button of mine. E education is uh, is a topic that I'm passionate about. In fact, I wrote a book on the topic, um, and, and and I'm with you. You know, I think uh, you know teaching is one of, uh, if not the most noble uh, profession. It's the it's the thing that creates the future uh, and uh, enables people to come into their own. And I think there's a, a commonly um, misunderstood thing about technology. Technology can be helpful, you're right, uh, in an educational context. It's certainly helpful to deliver virtually uh, a lesson. Of course, these are superficial things, uh, but actually I think technology is the context in which education happens. And in a world where uh, te technology is driving change and, and change at pace, then actually the, the superpower that we all have is the ability to adapt quickly and creatively to that change in a valuable way. So creativity, actually, I think is is a superpower uh, in a in a modern technology age, and uh, and for that reason, the digital age is more than ever a human age. I I, I think so. I'm completely with you, Michelle, in, in your thesis on that. And long may the craft of teaching uh, exist. Um, uh, and, and hopefully the system sort of um, becomes less constraining for uh, those teaching professionals out there. Um, look, uh, it, I could talk to you all night. Um, it's been absolutely fascinating. Uh, this this uh, phrase of uh, mindful use of technology is going to stay with me. And I think, ironically, the uh, technologies can help you do this. You know, we talk about digital well-being a lot. And if you've got a yeah. uh, an Android-based uh, phone or an, an iPhone, um, there are tools that you can use to help you with that sort of digital detox to keep that frontal cortex uh, engaged. Um, you've got a fantastically inspiring story, uh, the pivots that you've made in your uh, in your career, and, and I'm sure many more to come are uh, uh, and are invigorating. Uh, I highly recommend the book. I'll link it below. Um, Michelle Tempest, thank you very much for joining me. You're an inspiration. Oh, the inspiration comes from you. So thanks so much. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, don't forget, everyone's own brain is actually the most powerful thing of all. 100%. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.